As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, June 30th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Kind of feels like the last day of school with it being the uh, last day before a long weekend for many of us here in the States. I'm working on Friday. I've got a show in the afternoon. We'll do the waiver show at 4 Eastern if you want to check that out. You'll see me chatting. Yeah, you're chatting. You'll have the cat gifts going. You'll answer a lot of questions. You know, there's there's still work to be done, but it, it does feel like the last day of school to me or something close to it. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about some potential second half role changes. We took the leaderboards, flipped them upside down, as we tend to do from time to time on this show. Um, I call them laggard boards. I don't know if anyone else calls them that, but that's what I call them because it's really the part of the board you don't want to be on. So we're going to look for some players that will possibly lose their role, uh, possibly be replaced as a result of contending teams upgrading that spot via trade. Lots of paths. And we're going to take a look at pitchers, we're going to take a look at hitters, all sorts of, of guys in different scenarios. And since it's uh, appropriate, we're going to have a prospect of the week before we go and probably a beer of the month since we've got the long weekend ahead of us. I think Eno's got some some beer thoughts to, uh, to share with us on this Thursday. So we begin with pitchers, some of the worst starters in the league. I took the K minus BB percentage leaderboard, flipped it upside down, and I'm not at all surprised to see Dakota Hudson sitting Right there at the very bottom of the list, a 2.4% strikeout minus walk rate. That is abysmal. And Hudson's one of those guys. We really can't figure out how he's as effective as he is with underlying skills like that. And he's not the only current Cardinal starter near the bottom of the leaderboard. They've got Andre Palante picking up extra innings right now with Jack Flaherty down. He's under 5% as well. So we talked about this a bit on the 3-0 show that went up on Thursday. They need, in a big way, the Cardinals in a big way need an upgrade for this rotation and possibly a second depth option to fall back onto as well. Yes, I think that they need uh, more help up front than in the back. Um, I don't actually think Hudson's going to lose his job because he's basically the fourth starter. Is he even the third starter? I don't know how he gets away with this, though. I really don't. I mean, who, who like, what? what's the pecking order? We've got uh, Rainwright, Michaelis, 
Hudson Mats. So, you know, they're, they're the four that are comfortably in. Flaherty, you're waiting on. Liberatore, I don't think you can count on. Uh, and Palante is the step-in guy. And Palante said the other day he uh, learned a lot from talking to Dakota Hudson. And you can tell because they both have terrible K-BBs. <laughs> and, it, you know, you can point to the Cardinals' defense and Hudson's ground ball rate, things that won't change in the future. Um, and, yes, Brendan Donovan, uh, Edmund Sosa, Edmundo Sosa, to- Tommy Edmund, Nolan Arenado are all standouts when it comes to uh, defensive run saved, other uh, types of defensive stats. So the, he has a really good, uh, you know, defense behind him. But, you know, what what shouldn't be happening necessarily is, uh, you know, like, so maybe you can believe his 272 BABIP, like his batting average on balls and plays below uh, league average. And some of the projections say that'll continue. Like uh, Zips gives him a 282 going forward. And, and so therefore a 415 ERA. Um, but all of them say he should give up more homers. And we just had a whole podcast about how that park, uh, is playing uh, friendlier to homers than usual. Um, and what that means. So I, uh, I would just say this, you as a fantasy player should not bet on Dakota Hudson to continue. Uh, I think the Cardinals can be fine with a mid fours ERA and a bad whip, uh, because uh, they are going to hit a lot and hopefully upgrade the front of the rotation. I just, I just wouldn't bet on Palante to keep his job because even if they get a back end guy or a front end guy, Palante is the guy who's going to lose his job. Yeah, and they've got a couple guys at AAA that are, are pitching reasonably well. There's another Zach Thompson. Uh, knocking on the door, kind of up and down for them. He could end up maybe taking one of those back end spots as a depth guy. Uh, Connor Thomas, who has not debuted yet, a 24-year-old lefty, putting up decent numbers at AAA. Control first, uh, swings and misses probably second in that profile, but not not without some intrigue. So I, I think we talked about this on 3-0. Steven Matz probably is more important to this team than people realize, but a big part of what's made them different. They're putting runs on the board at a much more so hilarious. consistent He's clip. the only one with a good K-BB other than maybe Wainwright. Uh, and yet he's the one struggling. <laughs> I just love, yeah, love it. Over love six. It. It, doesn't, it doesn't even add up. But uh, <laughs> a few other names that are buried on this K-BB percentage list. Marco Gonzalez. Are we at the point now where maybe the Mariners could actually think about shuffling someone else into that rotation? It's Ray, Gilbert, Kirby, Flexen's kind of the same guy he's been ever since they brought him in. Would they go younger and possibly bring up someone from their system to take a spot? Or would they be among the teams that might be trading for a controllable pitcher, even though we don't necessarily fancy them surefire contenders for this season? They've graduated so many people. There is uh, Emerson Hancock, who apparently is uh, sitting 94-95 and totally filling up the zone. You can tell by his walk rates. And also, uh, this is something I've heard uh, from the ground level. So... Uh, you could uh, could say it's time for Emerson Hancock. Last year, Hancock threw 43 innings, if I'm reading this correctly. And he's already thrown 29 this year. So I just, uh, I think, uh, to be honest, I love the list you put together. I Other than Palante, I don't think anybody loses their job on this list. 
I think that the Mariners need to just uh, throw him out there. And for what it's worth, uh, sometimes uh, cutters, cutters in particular, uh, produce lower BABIPs. So cutter pitchers can sometimes beat their K-minus BB a little bit. Uh, just, it's just a fact of cutters. They have the lowest BABIP of any of the fastballs. Um, and he, he does throw a cutter a fair amount. Um, but, you know, is a pitch that he throws 16% of the time really the reason why he's succeeding despite a bad K-minus BB? Uh, I would just say he never has a really great strikeout rate. This year is the worst of his career. Uh, but he has a career ERA under four for 750 innings. And uh, he's a veteran and, you know, whether or not they make it is going to is going to depend on him and not necessarily on his replacement, I don't think. Yeah, the other names that came up near the bottom that probably should get bumped into a different role and maybe won't, James Caprillion and Brad Keller are two that really jump That's off right. the page. It's like their teams are so bad. Right, who are you going to replace them with? Yeah. I do think that long-term, uh, I would be really interested when, when Keller moves to the bullpen. I think that if you gave him a couple ticks uh, and, and he just fastball slider and he had to just get through the lineup once, uh, I think he would be much better. So you think you could turn him into kind of a Ronaldo Lopez sort of, you know, multi-inning, really Maybe multi-inning, guy. or yeah. if you just even made him a one-inning guy, I think he would be a, a really fantastic reliever. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that for Keller, which, you know, they don't have an extremely settled save situation. So maybe Brad Keller becomes someone that we've chased as a streamer for a long time who ends up working his way into a ninth inning role in the longer term. I don't think that's going to happen quickly. I do think that he is sort of interesting when it comes to um, a team that might need depth this year um, and uh, might consider changing him to a reliever next year. Uh, somebody that could use him in two inning st- stance this year and then uh, might make him a one inning guy next year because uh, he has he only has these two years left on his uh, on his you know the rest of this year and the next year left on his team control he's probably not going to be part of the next good Royals team the Royals have tried uh, what they're going to try with him um, and another team I'm always like the Rays are always the one I look for, but like, you know, a team that even the Dodgers or something, maybe they need a few spot starts now. Um, but, uh, people are going to get healthy. Who does that describe? The giants were built that way with a few guys that they had coming back. Junius is hurt right now. You know, it's the, it's the frozen banana team as uh grant Brisby, uh, I think rightfully labeled them. I could see it. I could see it like Brad Keller for a few spot starts. And the next year he's in the bullpen. You know, and he's next year's Junis, you know, mm-hmm. where he's like in between. Um, so I, I could see Keller moving at the deadline, actually. Uh, but I don't uh, I do have one nice thing to say about the Royals. Oh, wow. Is is that damning with faint praise? You got breaking. You have something nice to say about the Royals. So full of yourself, you know. Oh, do you have something nice to say about the Royals? Oh, you're so much smarter than them. Um Anyway, sorry. Uh, I I've been very public with my disrespect for uh, Orioles uh, for Royals uh, pitching coaching, and I've written stories about it, and I backed it up with numbers. Jackson Kowar has a completely new fastball, and maybe a completely new slider. He finally has some ride on his fastball. He changes release point. He is a new pitcher. I think that's pretty interesting. I think that's sort of interesting. The one thing that Kowar has never had is command. 
So it's not um, something that is a no-brainer, but it is something to, to store away. And for, especially for you, like sort of really deep leaguers, uh, Kowar could be a, a prospective pickup. Yeah, I think a lot of times our cutoff tends to be like 15 team mixed leagues because you know you play in the main event, I play in the auction championship, and, and that's kind of a, a sweet spot where almost anyone who's decent in a rotation is viable, if not part time, you know, at least occasionally. I'm looking at Keller as as someone though that probably gets traded that you could see in a more prominent role, maybe just in a new team. The usage ends up being such that you could use him in a mono league, whereas right now you're kind of worried every time he starts against someone who's not a bad team. Cal Quantrill pops up on this list. You know, I, I think mm. he's probably the most interesting name here because him and Hudson, man, just give me that Tom's like, it's like, yeah, but this is different because the guardians have young pitching. They actually have prospects they can bring up and they could bump Quantrill into a, a long relief role and it wouldn't, it wouldn't really be a, a, a bad decision. I think it could end up kind of doing something like you described with Keller, where you get two or three innings at a time from Quantrill, and it ends up being pretty good. But then you have a spot for, if they want to be aggressive and promote Daniel Espino, they could do that, or they could bring up Logan T. Allen. I mean, those are the two pitching prospects that seem like they're the closest to making some kind of second-half contribution. I think the challenging thing about it is, I'm not sure there's something actionable you can do in a mixed league right now to stash one of those Guardians prospects just given that Espino's working back from a knee injury right now and the timetable for a decision like this could still be more like four to six weeks out. It could be something they do after the deadline if they don't make the moves that they want to make to upgrade their their pitching depth. They don't go get a veteran to add to this mix, which they're so frugal. I don't expect them to do that, but at the same time, if the right person becomes available, maybe that delays those young guys from coming up a little longer. Yeah, he's a free agent in 2026. Um I think this is the the sort of good part of the of a team of a player's uh, and team control where you just keep him. Um, you know, they're they're known uh, as an organization for sort of protecting their prospects so long and not taking a discount on any of their guys uh, to the point where they lose prospects into the Rule Five draft uh, because they haven't traded them fast enough. So. I think they're a team that hoards uh, team control years. So uh, I doubt they're actually going to demote him. I, th- I think they're just going to use him when they've got him. I do think it's funny uh, that the shape of a season will really change the way people think about a guy. So, you know, Cal Quantrill came out and had a 327 uh, ERA in March and April with a 208 BABIP, uh, not supported by his K minus BB, not supported by any of his uh, peripherals. Um, and so slowly over time, that's begun to kind of catch up with them. A 369 ERA in May, a 406 in June. I think this will continue to rise. If it rises slowly, though, you know, he may keep that ERA a touch under four for the season um, and make everybody that owned him feel great. But if they actually look through it, they got all their value from him in the first month or so. Um, so I think the action item here for you know, sort of NFBCers, 15 teamers is don't be afraid to cut him. It looks like it's going really well, right? But if you can trade him, if you can trade him, that's best if you have trading. But I will tell you this, I have tried to trade Cal Quantrill, I think maybe 
35 times in the last year. How many times have I traded him? Zero. Zero. <laughs> I mean, everybody else is looking at KBB and KMISBB and looking at his Fangraphs page and saying, mm, "I don't, I don't really want that." So my guess is you can't trade him, and you're also looking at that three that three ish ERA and saying, "Well, I can't drop him." I think he might be closer to a matchup guy than you think. So if there is a, a two starter you really need or a young guy coming up. Um, you're really excited about like if uh, Grayson Rodriguez comes up and you just want to make that swap. I think don't get don't get too attached to Cal Quantrill and and do it. I know that I just said that you know Cutter guys can can beat Babip sometimes. That theoretically should be in in Stuff Plus, um, and you know Stuff Plus and Pitching Plus does uh, not have uh, many great things to say about uh, Cal Quantrill as a as a fantasy player. Yeah, I think it's interesting just thinking about the shape of the season, too, when you look at Zach Plesak, his teammate, right next to him. You know, Plesak, at the end of the first month, or like after his first start in May at least, had a 444 ERA and a 141 whip. He's down at a 386 and a 122. So the ratios today are almost identical to what Cal Quantrill has done, but the last two months have been quite a bit better. He seems to be going the opposite sort of direction. Those two guys, in my mind, and Aaron Savali is kind of like this, too, they have that flaw or they don't miss enough bats for, for shallow mixed leagues in particular. I tend to use those guys more in, in two start weeks in a lot of formats and play them for the matchups when I can. But do you see anything different with Zach Plesak that makes you think that he is clearly better or possibly still on the same level as Cal Quantrill despite the recent success? I will say that he finally has an above average K minus BB in June. Uh, 20% strikeout rate and uh, and 20% um, uh, 20% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate. So that is slightly above average uh, for a, for a for a pitcher, uh, especially a starting pitcher. But um, I don't know that I uh, know exactly how they do it because overall he has the same. He has a very similar profile uh, to to uh, Quantrill and. You know, it's tempting to be like they they do prepare re- really well uh, for games, but um, I would say you know I'm looking at his vertical movement uh, over the course of the season. I'm looking at his velocity over the course of the season. It's it's up by the tiniest margin. Um, I guess it's up a tick. That's probably all it is. Uh, I would say that also. I guess his release point has been changing a little bit. Cleveland does change over the course of the season. It plays a lot more pitcher-friendly early in the season and less pitcher-friendly later in the season. That's a little bit why I was worried about Quantrill and Bieber as the season goes on. I was expecting more homers. Uh, it is interesting to see Plesak add that extra tick. Maybe he'll avoid that homeritis. But I would say that most of the Cleveland pitchers are going to give up more homers as the weather warms, as a Tristan McKenzie has. Yeah, definitely a concern with that uh, that particular group, especially for the guys that are not missing a lot of bats. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to a few relievers who are, are lagging in K minus BB percentage. I think the threshold for what concerns me with a reliever is a, a bit higher. It takes a little takes a little you can give you can get to the 12 to 15 percent range in some cases and still look at a guy and go eh, I, don't, I still don't know if i trust this guy in this particular role two really easy low-hanging fruit relievers both both diamondbacks veterans mark melanson and ian kennedy under 10 percent in k minus bb percentage this is a team that i think will try to trade those guys at the deadline i don't know if they're going to really find a lot of willing buyers in that case but it could leave someone like Joe Mantiply in a situation where he ends up getting some saves later on this season. So I do think we're closing in in the next couple of weeks on the point where you you want to start stashing a reliever who could end up moving into a closer role. And Arizona is one of those places that despite the struggles of Melanson and Kennedy, you know, I think either trade or just because of their their own shortcomings, there's probably a possible trade or possible adjustment coming. Yeah, and there's not real uh, a, a ton of reason to hold on to those guys for the future. No, 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 no. They're late 30s. The Pitching Plus model likes Noe Ramirez a little bit more. Um, but it really doesn't like many of their pitchers at all. <laughs> so It's another organization going their own way. Uh, and you may also... Uh, Wendelkin actually has the best stuff plus number, but his command... Uh, can 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 turf him a little bit, um, and uh, that's been a big part of his lackluster overall numbers, which will probably keep him out of uh, the closing role. I would uh, suggest, uh, as I think you have uh, with your Mantiply, um discussion, just looking at usage, and whoever is getting the holds there uh, is the one to bet on because uh, there's no obvious uh, number. There is an obvious. Uh, replacement for somebody on this list. Uh, Hansel Robles, if you permit me to sort of jump ahead. Uh, Please do. He, he, where does he rank on yours? Uh, second worst among the, the um, if you tie Melanson and Kennedy. Kennedy I yeah, I, just, I made, them, made them one one group, and there's other relievers who don't close who are in this conversation as well if you expand it, but they're not relevant to our game. So Robles just stood out to me as someone who was getting some save chances earlier in the year has some pretty shaky skills and probably is losing those opportunities anyway because Tanner Houck, you know, series in Toronto notwithstanding, is going to keep getting more of those chances. Yeah, and but Tanner Houck is also uh, is interesting. His uh, stuff plus has gone through the roof uh, since he's gone into small uh, small samples, and so probably he, he is the guy. Uh, but he has, uh, according to Pitching Plus, even as a reliever, had some sub-average outings, which have to do with his command, which comes and goes. Um, and also, I think uh, his pitch mix in general is not very split-friendly, if you know what I mean. He dominates against righties. Yeah. Lefties, you know, he may not um, be the best option uh, against the lefty lineup, and John Schreiber's, uh, you know, collection of pitches 
is uh, a little bit more platoon neutral, as I would say it. Uh, and John Schreiber has not had an outing uh, under uh, 100 uh, in, in the last 10 outings, and he's been comfortably over 110. Um, you know, so he's a little bit more steady Eddie. Uh, there is a there is a universe where John Schreiber gets the job, and so I do think he is um, one of the better names uh, to have on a bench if you're prospecting for saves. Yeah, and that's probably still tilted a little more toward deeper leagues. If you're in a 12-team league or anything smaller, yeah. it's probably not where you want to go given the lean towards some sort of committee. probably an actual first-seat closer on your wire. Right, or there at least will be in the next couple of weeks as things change. Uh, Ryan Presley has had a, a, a weird season. He shows up on this list, 11.9% K-minus BB percentage, which, you know, again, for a reliever is more troubling than it would be for like a mid-rotation or back-end sort of starter. He had that knee injury back in April. The velocity was down. The results so far this season, he's sitting, I think, with a 386 ERA and a 124 whip. And you know, before the velocity drop, I thought Presley was in that upper tier of very safe closers. Someone that I liked, I targeted, I was willing to go get at a premium back during draft season. And it seems like there's more of a chance that he could lose his job now than there's been really at any point in the last two, well, I guess all the way back to 20, the last three seasons now. So I guess the question would be, like, are you as worried about Presley as I am? And do you see the obvious replacement either in you know, Rafael Montero or somebody else in that Houston bullpen that really kind of pops? I did just trade away an $11 Presley in uh, Otternew uh, to my man, Alan Harrison, who's making a run. Um, I'm kind of mid-table, so I'm trading away all my relievers, which I think makes sense. I'll try to get some more later. But, uh, you know, it's a complicated story because because his breaking ball is so good, Presley still pops as a good reliever. He has a 126 stuff plus that's on par with Josh Hader. Um, you know, so that's, I think, kind of an amazing little stat there. At the same time, at 93 miles an hour, what we've seen are worse outings where, like, he does not, he does not have good command because of the knee, I think. And so if you pair not good, inconsistent command with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball as a reliever, you have these bad outings, you know? And if he strings together a few bad outings... I think, you know, Dusty has some ability to make these moves on his own um, if he if he really wants to. And then you have to sort of read the usage to decide. My model, I think, likes Ryan Stanek the best. Um, but you've seen Rafael Montero get a lot of choices. And he's pitching really well. Sub-2 ERA, whip just a tick above one, 30Ks in 29 and two-thirds innings, five for five in the save chances that he's had. So I'd... Yeah, but Stanek has a 141 stuff. You know what he does have is a 95 command, though. Oof. Uh, so, uh, so maybe it's just like uh, too risky uh, to to throw Stanek out there as a closer. Maybe he's just going to blow up just as often as Presley. And maybe Montero, uh, despite having lesser stuff, uh, he has. Uh, let me see here. He has 93 stuff, but he has 103 command. So he's just much more likely. Uh, to give you a solid outing, maybe not blow everyone away. So I guess uh, 
I guess I'll give it to uh, Montero. Uh, I think it would be he's a, one of the better ones. Uh, what would you who would you rather have on your team if you were prospecting for saves, Montero or Schreiber? Montero. Yeah, you think Hauk's going to run with it? I think Hauk's going to run with it, and even if Hauk doesn't, I still think the Red Sox are tracking more toward the Twins, Rays, Mariners. Oh, spread it around. They're they're in the the group that just they're less settled on one. They're among those teams now, whereas Houston. Seems like they still want to do more of the, the it's a dusty you know, clear effect. roles. He likes having one guy, yeah. Uh, but you know, Presley blew that game in in New York and uh, in, in for the Yankees, and then was out there closing one for the Mets uh, against the Mets a couple days later. So it might be an interesting time to acquire Presley, like say in an auto new or in a dynasty format, where maybe you don't have to pay as much. I I think he's an important player if you are not playing for this season and you keep looking at him as a top five, top six, whatever, wherever you drew the line going into the season, you keep looking at him like that, you might be overvaluing him. If you find someone in your league who still values him that way, I think you could move away in a long-term league and feel good about it because saves are so hard to come by, you can probably still get a pretty good return in a long-term league. Joe Barlow's pitched really well. Sub-3 ERA, whip under one. Only 21 strikeouts this season, which is a little surprising. 25 in the third inning so far, but it's a 12.9% K minus BB percentage. It's not bad, but is it a problem? Even though the results have been good, this is kind of like the Quantrill equivalent uh, of, of a reliever where. Uh, I guess, except Pitching Plus loves him. So. Pitching Plus loves him. <laughs> well, the, that's the reason. Like, this was a case where when I looked at, at Barlow, I looked at the, the core skills going in into the draft season. I was like, I just I don't know if I see it with him. Then I looked at the pitching model and was like, the model loves him, so let's take a chance because he's cheap. I've got plenty of Joe Barlows. <laughs> yeah, does it last? He's when he's now twenty four of twenty seven in save chances going I back to think last the season. The strikeout rate's going to go up. Look at his minor league rates. He had he had uh, at times double the strikeout rate that he has right now in the minor leagues, and he never. Ever since he became a reliever, he's never dropped below a 12K9 in the minor leagues. So, and then you look at his swing strike rate, 14%. You know, isn't it normally sort of double your swing strike rate to get your K rate? So he's got 14% and 20%. I mean, I think most of the projections also project him to improve his strikeout rate going forward. Uh, So... I, I don't know I don't know why it's he, like if what it is he's doing uh, that's leading to this um, he, he is throwing his breaking balls uh, 60 70 percent of the time I love it well it's also weird though because the projections all point to walk rates that are higher he's always walked more guys than he's walked this season he's got a 7.9 percent walk rate he's had a double digit walk rate at every single stop in his career prior to this season so maybe there's a bit of a trade-off you know not not missing with non-competitive pitches as often and that's put him in the zone a little more often lowers the k rate home run rate ticks up slightly just speculation but I, i think he's kind of fascinating because i think he's still he's still not a top 10 closer for a lot of people the model would make you think that he could be. The results give you doubt about that. So well, I just think he's really still fun. A category, you know. So you know he's st- and he's not giving you that. So, so are you buying him? or Are you worried that someone else could swoop in and take the job? I'm buying him because I think uh, he's young and will hold the job uh, for a couple of years. All right. 
I wanted to bring him up because I've got him a couple places and I'm I'm fascinated by the way this is playing out so far. Yeah, I know it's easy to look at that Babip and say 194 Babip, he's in trouble, but uh, I, I, it's one of those things where like right now, yes, uh, looking at certain peripherals, you know, CRA, Sierra's 392, Babip's 194, like I could see uh, poo-pooing him, but uh, it's one of those things where I think the strikeout rate will rise and make him deserve his current numbers more you know what i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and i in other words i i believe the bat pretty well you know a three six era uh with 10 strikeouts per nine um yeah that's a mid 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 road uh closer that probably will hold his job right that would be closer somewhere in the 12 to 16 range probably if we're kind of re-racking for the the second half of the season one more pitcher I want to ask you about, not a reliever, just a, a guy that I think is really interesting if he ever leaves Colorado. He comes up in this show on a regular basis. That's Herman Marquez. Um, left his start against the Dodgers on Wednesday with a cut on his right thumb. Results have been bad this year. ERA is close to six. K rate is under 20%. First time since his rookie season that we've seen that. Uh, the walk rate is still up just like it was last year at 8.5%. Home runs are as bad as they've ever been for him. And even looking at the model this year compared to last year, and I know there's some some quirks with guys pitching in Colorado, but just sort of a 2021 to 2022 comparison, it looks like the stuff has actually taken a little bit of a, a step back for Herman Marquez as well, which leads me to wonder, should the Rockies actually trade him now, knowing that there's a lot of teams that need pitching and there's not enough starting pitching out there? And in this window, when there's still teams that see a lot of value in the contract, he's got one more one more year already locked in, plus a club option for 2024. If they keep holding him and he keeps struggling, they're just going to crater his value even further. Whereas I feel like there's still a little bit of that we can fix Herman Marquez that probably bounces around for a lot of organizations. There was a lot of interest in John Gray, you know, as an example. Yeah, uh, who put up inferior numbers to Herman Marquez over time in Colorado. Similar. I think a smart organization would do it because you're going to get more value out of him because you have that extra year. I thought there were more years on his deal, so I poo-pooed the idea also because I don't think the Rockies are a smart organization. But um, it takes two to tango, man. Like you really, like you really need to find another organization that 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 values him and likes him and sees and thinks that they can they can fix him, like you said. And and then on top of that, just as a as a probably as a rocky GM, it's really hard to trade away pitching because you can't buy it in the free agency market. But you're not even you're not even getting good results on the road right now. It's just it's been been rough this year. This is one of the first times I've had Marquez in any league, and it's been NL labor, twelve team NL only league. You leave a guy in if you get him in the the draft auction part uh, part of the proceedings and. Welcome to a five ERA. It's gross, Me man. And Jose Barrios. It's terrible in the corner. And the thing is, like the the fastball velo is still there. I saw his start against. I want to say it was against the Giants a few weeks ago, and it, it didn't. He didn't look bad when I was watching him. He he didn't look like a guy that should be getting hammered the way he's been hammered over the course of this season. In fact, it's going up. He's sitting ninety six right now. The curveball velo is up. All the velo is actually up across the board for him right now. That's wild. I do see in the model that that normal thing about like you know when he's away from home, 
uh, you know, his stuff plus goes up, and when he's home, it goes down. Um, so I can see, you know, basically, in his away starts, his stuff plus is around a hundred, and then his home starts is around ninety. Honestly, I mean, some are like eighty-three, but uh, so that's a kind of a wild thing. If there's a ten-point swing for everybody, he's in particular maybe a little bit more effective than most because of the curveball. Yeah. So I think, I mean, look, if Herman Marquez gets traded any anywhere, I'm interested in deeper mixed leagues again. I, mm-hmm. I think there's at least a chance that they, they would actually want to do this because imagine if the Rays had held on to Chris Archer a little longer and performance had dipped, right? They wouldn't have got a return anything close to what they got from the Pirates in that deal. Sorry to bring it up again, Pirates fans. But I, I think there was, because of the return being so good, people don't look back at that and say that they may have waited a little too long to trade Chris Archer. And I think the Rockies are in danger of waiting too long to trade Herman Marquez, even with the problems they have replacing pitching. So we'll see. We'll see if anything actually comes from that. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We get the hitters to look at here, and I think this is a, a goofy group of players because these are the bottom of the WRC plus leaderboard, the absolute worst hitters. And a lot, like a lot of the pitchers, you look at these these struggling players and say, who's actually taking their place? Jonathan Scope has the worst WRC plus among qualified players. Who are the Tigers going to play more if they move on from Jonathan Scope? I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, an interesting fantasy player in that exact spot or Miles Straw in Cleveland. If they're going to play him less, then they need to find a good defensive center fielder and you know, also find someone that hits big league pitching enough to stay in the lineup. So at least with Straw, they're getting great defense, even though he's among uh, the worst hitters, qualified hitters in the league so far this season. It's pretty interesting looking at uh, you know the Robbie Grossman signing and the Scope signing in, in Detroit and being like, you know, we I think we lauded them for for trying to put the pieces together to to get better over time and 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 continually try to get better. Uh, Grossman's not as big of a problem, uh, and Scope still plays excellent defense. But you're not going to trade them away for prospects, and in the meantime, you're losing the opportunity to try a a young player there to see if they can get better. So, are they blocking their improvement as a team by signing these guys? If you don't have someone to take the spot, then no. And I think it's like, are you going to play Cody Clemens? Is it is it better for your organization to play Cody Clemens in the second half or to just leave scope in the fold or to play Harold Castro or Willie Castro? Because it's the usual suspects there. Are, are any of those younger guys interesting enough to justify that decision? In general, I err on the side of playing the younger guy. 
because you know Scope's not on your next good team. Yeah. The weirdest part, though, is that none of those guys are young. You know, Harold Castro's 28, Cody Clemens is 26. These are all guys that are barely, uh, barely young. I mean, 26 is, you know, that's peak age. Uh, Harold Castro is playing well enough. He's 28 and he's a left-hander and he's he's got an above-average bat right now. He's projected to be about average. I could see uh, making that move. But there's nothing Harold Castro has done except for his interesting barrel rate this year uh, that would make me uh, think that he was an everyday regular on a good team. So the only name I can add to the list is Ryan Kreidler. Uh who is above average on AAA right now, has was way better last year, uh, and is only hitting 221, but he's got a 323 OBP and power, um, and you might want to see what his Major League strikeout rate looks like. He's the kind of guy that I would say, just throw him in at second. He's been playing second in the minor leagues. Just throw him in at second and see if you've got anything with him. I mean, you sometimes you just need to see if you have anything. Yeah, there's some power, there's some speed, looks like some decent OBP skills as well. He'd be the guy that you'd want to play more by clearing that spot out as opposed to some of the players on the bench right now. Cleveland, uh, just the, the, the straw example, they don't have enough outfielders. This is part of their problem. So they I don't. Traded away, uh, they basically released uh, Oscar Mercado. Yeah, so I don't think they're going to push straw out right now. And, and I don't think they're going to trade for a Reynolds or a Mullins. So here, here you are. You're just you're stuck with him. The good news is if you're relying on straw for those cheap steals, even though he's hurting you everywhere else, you might not lose that source of steals just based on on their circumstances. A lot of the cheap speed guys, Jorge Mateo, Nicky Lopez, they're struggling in a big way. I can see both of those guys playing a lot less. And Whit Merrifield's on this list. We talked about him maybe a month six weeks ago now it's been a little while and i think we expected a bounce back of some kind even if this is part of the decline phase for him and it really hasn't happened yet 228 277 311 line here on the final day of june yeah it's a little bit like i'm not sure that that organization is going to do anything uh they also have him uh, under contract for a little bit i his trade value is probably not super high because it's not the type of player that a lot of teams value. However, uh, if they threw some cash in, possibly, which is just an, a weird thing to say, but if they threw some cash in, there, there might be a team that does value his speed because as you get closer to the playoffs, the more speed matters. And then having speed that can actually play and maybe play uh, closer to a league average bat uh, going forward, he is projected for basically league average uh, going forward, is uh super super valuable uh so um you know there could be a team that you know like remember when the dodgers signed hansel ropeless you know it's kind of like what it's about versatility and uh having someone who can make contact uh, on your bench that sort of deal uh, so I could see someone saying, ooh, Whit Merrifield improves our versatility, improves our team speed, gives us a pinch runner, you know, gives us a guy that we want on second uh, in extra innings, that sort of deal. Uh, so I, I think uh, it's possible he gets traded. Uh, back to the Cleveland thing, I, I just wonder if Stephen Kwan can't play center. Um, I'm looking at his outs above average, and he is rated similarly to Aaron Judge, Derek Hill, 
uh, Adam Engel, Albert Amora, uh, Victor Robles, Austin wow. Slater. Hmm. So I think it, you know, it's just a question, I guess, of uh, how much stomach they have uh, uh, for, you know, changing anything about Miles Straw's usage after they signed him to a five-year extension. Yeah, that's the other part of this, right? They're not going to make that move right now. I mean, if you have just signed a long-term deal, and maybe Straw's deal's worth a lot less than a typical free agent deal because of where he was service time-wise, and that's a slightly different factor, you're still probably not backing away at the beginning of that deal from using a player on a regular basis. That would be a pretty strange decision. Avi, Avi Garcia is the other example of this on this list in Miami. Are they going to, in year one of that contract, start playing him less? No. That's, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, and in fact, as much as I, 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 I like this list, I think maybe, you know, what's the what's the, 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 the person who's most likely to lose their job is probably Scope. Yeah, I think that's that's the one. And, you know, Kreidler is a nice player, but probably a 15-team mixed league middle infielder if you get the best. If, if you get the security out. of an everyday job. I mean, he runs a little, so that, that's enough to right. at least take the chance. But it's not going to change your, your immediate fortunes in the second half of the season either. It's too early for the Orioles uh, to pull up uh, Gunnar Henderson, right? Probably. 21, except he's at AAA. And he's, he's having an amazing year in the minors. And amazingly, the Orioles are not completely out of it. <laughs> like, what if they wanted to make a run at 500? That's 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 something that you could uh, tell your owner, right? <laughs> As a GM. We were 500 this year. We're, we're going in the right direction. I mean, I think you probably want to feel that as, as a front office. Like, hey, we've we've identified good young players. We've, we've done a good yeah. job putting the right staff we've in place. We've developed them. So I think Jorge Mateo, Jorge Mateo has never uh, struck me as a good hitter. So um, I think uh, he's he's second most likely to lose their job on this list. Yeah, the cheap bags you're getting from Mateo probably go away in the second half of the season. Nick- and they're not that cheap. You're pay- you're spending a price. The 199 batting average is a price. <laughs> it's hurting for sure. Uh, Nicky Lopez probably just becomes a just a regular backup. Like that's just who he's likely to be. Kike Hernandez has been off to a pretty bad start throughout the first half, but I think you just look at him plus Jackie Bradley Jr. and you become even more confident that Jaron Duran can keep playing a lot. Like that's pretty logical to me. I don't I don't know if there's a lot to push back on with that. The other situation, the last one I want to bring up for today on this hit this group of hitters, the Dodgers between Max Muncy and Justin Turner are getting a lot less from those two players than we expected back at the beginning of the season. And I'm trying to decide if it's going to be you know, internal adjustments, someone like Jake Lamb, who they've had kind of stashed away, a prospect like Miguel Vargas, or it's a trade. It just seems like the potential winners in this case are not as clear because there's also the possibility that between now and the August 2nd trade deadline that Muncie and Turner get back to some of their old ways. I, you know, uh, the word phantom may be misused here, but... Uh, some sort of IL stint for Muncie just to clear his head and maybe get a rehab stint. You know what I mean? And maybe just take two weeks off and see if the elbow feels any better. His max EV is the lowest it's ever been. His barrel rate is still okay, uh, but it is much lower than it's been the last two years. He's just hitting everything straight up in the air. And I think he's hurt. 
So I guess, you know, there's a question of like, is it going to get better in two weeks or not? But I could see them uh, putting Max Muncy on the IL. And you could call it phantom, you know, it's like a, you know, a different team. Like, if he, is he hurt, hurt, or is he, or do we just want to try and get him right? I think he's actually hurt. He had the elbow injury coming into the season. And let me, if you're watching on YouTube, look at oh, this. Oh, man, look at that. Look at this rolling Woba chart. That is what an injured player looks like. I think so, too. So they have to do something about that. I don't know if, if a few weeks on the IL fixes that. It sounds more like the kind of problem that you need to have surgery to fix. And you need an offseason to recover from that. So I think that's at least one spot that's somewhat up for grabs for the Dodgers. We know they're always in on pretty much anyone available in trade. They've got young talent to move pretty much anytime they need to. Uh, but it might be even two spots that they have to figure out. Maybe one's internal. Maybe it's a combination of Lamb and Vargas for one and a trade upgrade for the other. But uh, definitely worried about Muncie even more than Turner. Definitely worried about Turner as well. Uh, we're going to save the trade value for of injured stars for our, our next episode. I want to get to prospect of the week. You know, anybody catching your eye as you uh, you dig through the leaderboards and, and watch games? Yeah, I uh, I need you to go first. <laughs> I had a name that came up on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast uh, earlier this week. Alejandro Ozuna is an outfielder in the Rangers organization, and I feel like it's worth bringing him up again because he does a little bit of everything age appropriate, even on the young side for the level at low A. He's 19 right now, left-handed hitting outfielder, six home runs this season, 25 steals. He's doing that with a 319, 413, 473 line. Plate skills are really good. He's basically cut the K rate in half from where he was last year. He was at 30.5% at the same level for an almost identical sample size, down at 15.2% right now. Really love to see that kind of improvement. It's a 150 WRC+, plus, one of the most productive players at the level, and probably a guy that gets a chance to play at high A for the second half of the minor league season. Nice. Nice. Well, you know, I, I should uh, highlight this guy because we were just talking about the Tigers um, and they've got a middle infielder that we did not mention earlier because he does not necessarily pop on scouting grades. The Fangraph scouting grades for him are 35 plus, which suggests utility or worse. Um, and uh, there's not a scouting reason to like him. Uh, there is a stat scouting reason to like him. Uh, he has Andre Lipchis. Lipchis, Lipchis, I'm going to go with Lipchis. Andre Lipchis is a middle infielder in Detroit. He has the best walk versus strikeout, BB slash K, walk to strikeout rate ratio in the minor leagues. He's ahead of Gunnar Henderson, Bo Naylor, uh, a guy named Andres Alvarez, and for some of them, uh, you know, their high walk, high strikeout rate, uh, a guy named Vito Friskia in, in Philadelphia in AA, uh, he is 19% walk rate, 23.5% strikeout rate. There's a, a fair amount of those guys up here, like Spencer Horwitz in Toronto uh, has a bit of the same line. But uh, Lipschitz has an 18% walk rate and a 16% strikeout rate. So I already kind of love him. And uh, I don't know why the the scouting guides are great that bad, but um, you know, 
there's a little bit of a difference this year. He's 60% better than league average in AA, 24 years old, and he's never really been that good in the past. So, uh, you know, I think he's uh, found some power, uh, increased the the uh, the contact rate. It's the best swing and strike rate of his career. Um, anyway, he just looks like a solid player statistically. I don't know why. He has speed. He has power. He plays up the middle. Um, you know, they're playing him at some first base this year, so maybe the defense is a question. Uh, but second base is a place you can hide a guy who isn't amazing defensively. They need something at second base. Maybe it's actually going to be Andre Lipschitz that comes up. Yeah, there's a couple names in this Tiger system that are interesting. Colt Keith also popped a few weeks ago on one of the prospect episodes uh, as well. So not as close to the big leagues as Lipschitz appears to be. And yeah, I'd say right behind Kreidler is someone that you want to play someone in that infield who's kind of interesting. Give him a shot. We've seen other guys get the jump from double A. We're talking about a guy that was a third round pick out of the University of Tennessee. So he's a college guy. He's not young. And see if that step forward at the plate at double A is actually something that can you know, carry over against top level pitching. So interesting name for sure. Let's close it out with a beer of the month segment. I mean, it's the perfect timing going into I finished holiday weekend. the keg. It wasn't even hard. We did it. You did better than the last time you had a keg. It was a smaller keg. It was a pony keg. <laughs> Lesson learned. Uh, as you get older, go pony. <laughs> Take the amount of, of beverages you were going to buy and divide by two. Yeah, if you're, right. you know, divide by three, and then you come up with the number of beverages that you probably reasonably need for the group of people you have. Yeah, there are 60 pints in a pony keg. Uh, and so there's still a fair amount of beer in there. Uh, but we got uh, it's 25, 30 people on a school bus during Pride weekend to celebrate my birthday. Uh, and the beer that we had, amazingly, was the Veil Crucial Taunt Double IBA. It's their uh, flagship beer. They, the Veil, are part of a group of breweries around D.C. in, in Virginia in the farmlands there. There are uh, some friendly um, rules and regulations uh, for breweries that grow some of their own product, grow some of their own hops or whatever. They're called, you know, sort of farm breweries. So there are a, a group of breweries in the, in the Virginia area uh, that, um, that, that take advantage of that. The Farm Belt, there's some name for these, this group of breweries. Anyway, the Vale uh, was really good. It was really good. Four and a half stars, just a really nice double IPA where... It wasn't mealy and too sweet. It was bright in a way. Uh, and uh, nobody tasted the 8%. Uh, and everybody had a good time. And I only had to have like two beers after I brought it home. That's uh, that's success after the, <laughs> the half barrel incident from... Uh, After the, like, in the year. Homer sandwich, the purple sandwich that I was doing with like, <laughs> Homer, are you out there with the keg again? You know, are you out there with the keg again? <laughs> I just got to finish it. <laughs> uh, another cool thing about it was it came in a one-way keg. I'd never seen this before. Um, a one-way keg is for these long, uh, for long distribution chains where like, you know, a lot of times you, you want to send a keg to a bar and you want to get the keg back. You know, it's kind of recycling. You get the metal. It's a big metal thing. Uh, they now make these one-way kegs where the veil just sent out uh, a plastic keg that is recyclable. Uh, 
Um, and what's cool about that too is you can see through it, so you can see how much is left. <laughs> that helps. You're yeah. not just guessing. Like, how much of this is the weight of the keg, and how much of this is actual? Should liquid? I give up or not? You know, is the big question. <laughs> and when I could see that it was just a little bit at the very bottom, I'm, uh, I had a couple more, and uh, it was finished. So I had a, my first beer from Bear Bottle brewing company in san francisco and i think one of the things that uh, i like about it just it, i forget which i don't remember which exact beer it even was but they have all the stats on their beer every possible stat even things i don't even fully understand there's like, all the information for the you recipe could brew their beer almost completely off of what's on the can and i thought that was really cool because it, it gives you if you are fully into brewing your own beer and just figuring these things out and figuring out what you really like down to a precise level like that they'd make that as accessible as possible uh, yeah i had one of the was it a was it a milkshake one they do like the lactose sometimes not a milkshake i you know what I, here's here's my other beer of the the month contribution i have decided that i don't think i like lactose in my beer this is not for me like i don't like that chalky slightly sweet yeah I, I don't know if it has any sort of uh, effect on me that way but it just <laughs> I'll try one. I, I tend to find that if I have uh, something with lactose as a as a taster, like as part of a flight, I don't mind it. And if I get a whole pint of it, it just doesn't just by the work end of for it, me. You're not into it anymore. I'm just done with it. I, I, I wish those beers were five ounces at a time instead of a pint at a time. So I think that's something that I've I realized as I've tried a few more of them. I like what they're trying to do. They're just not for me. I don't even drink dairy. I don't. I don't have any dairy. I cut cheese out of my life. So like. It is weird to be like, oh, I want, I don't have any dairy, but I'd like it in my beer. So I agree with you. Bear Brawl is really fun. And they make some, they put some weird stuff in there. You know, there's, there's weird flavors. They'll put some uh, fruit adjuncts in. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they, they push the envelope. I, I appreciate them for that. Surf Detective. That's the one I had. Uh, my memory is terrible lately. I can't remember anything. And if you're worried about the cheese that Eno's not eating, don't worry. I've been eating all of it. So. <laughs> The, the cheese balance of the universe is is still right where it needs to be. Like it, It's so embarrassing when I walk through the store and I'm, I'm getting ready to check out of the grocery store and I've got six like different cheese six products. Types of cheese. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I've got a spreadable bucket cheese. I've got some cream you cheese. Cheese in a can that you can spray. <laughs> I don't do the aerosol cheese because that's... Look, if that's your thing, good for you. I have decided that I can't. I, that's the seventh cheese. I've cut the seventh cheese out. I have enough forms <laughs> of cheese in my life. But uh, hopefully everybody out there has a, a safe and, and happy long holiday weekend if you're celebrating uh, in the States. Get that grill going. Yeah, enjoy a couple things on the grill. Try and relax. Uh, hopefully uh, you enjoy a few podcasts uh, along the way or whatever you like to do on the 4th of July. Be safe. Obviously, it's a... Uh, one of those holidays that is surprisingly dangerous. But if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, we really appreciate a nice review. If you haven't done that already, you can drop us questions for a future episode, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. You can ask questions in the comment section under this video on YouTube. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.